I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather to celebrate and rejoice in the first coming of Christ and all that means for us. And because of his work and his first coming, to, to look forward with expectation for his second coming. Father, I pray that my words now would be faithful to your word, led by your Holy Spirit, and that you would work in our hearts and minds. That for those who believe in Christ, that they would grow in their faith, that you would continue your work of transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. Father, for those who are here who are not believers in Christ, Lord, I pray that the gospel would be clear and that you would work, that you would change hearts. Show us our need for you and how wonderful it is that in our need you have provided. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This September 11th was the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on our nation, striking the World Trade Towers in New York City, uh, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and another target that was not realized because of the bravery of some passengers on United Airlines Flight 93. I was watching some videos uh, this September 11th, uh, full-length broadcasts of the news as the attacks unfolded. I trust Probably some of you watched them as well. Uh, one of the programs I watched this year weaved in some home videos that were being taken by people on the day of the attacks. Uh, and as I watched this, and as I watched it specifically this time, uh, in some of the people's videos I was particularly struck by something I, I had known but not fully considered before. There are people who are being evacuated from ground zero of the attacks on the World Trade Center. Uh, they were being encouraged to get out of the area as quickly as possible. And so in these videos, you see these people running, suits. Uh, they're wearing dresses and, and high heels, and they are running as fast as they can to get away from ground zero, as they should have. They were trying to encourage one another to do so and help one another to do the same. But at the very same time, those videos showed uh, policemen and women, firefighters, emergency medical services, military, faithful men and women running and driving in the exact opposite direction, heading into the trouble. 
ready and willing to go into the buildings that were on fire, to go into the fire itself. Many of them knew that they were probably going on a mission that would cost them their lives. And they still ran in. Above and beyond that, if you were to pull one of these workers aside, if you were to stop one of their cars as it was heading toward the World Trade Towers and say, don't go in there, you're going to die. It's a, it's a mission of death. They still would have gone. They would have kept going. It cost 415 emergency workers their lives on that day. And others have died in the years that followed because of the lasting effects of being so near the buildings as they collapsed. And that brings us to the theme of today's message. And I, and I had this thought in my mind. You know, as these workers are, are driving and, and getting toward the, the World Trade Towers, what, what if you told them, don't worry about going in there. The only people in those towers are people who, who have hurt your family. People who have killed your loved ones. <coughs> we read the whole passage again uh, this morning, 1, 18 to 25, but we're going to focus today on verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At the coming of Jesus to the earth, our Heavenly Father initiated a rescue plan. He ran in. His final rescue plan for fallen humanity. A rescue plan that would come at great cost. And this, this morning, I'm simply going to go through the various parts of this sentence. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is worth rejoicing in this Christmas, is it not? I pray that our hearts will be stirred. My heart is stirred. Just thinking about what happened on September 11th. Just watching those cars head toward the trouble, right? So thankful for those who are willing to do so. And in eternal measure, what the Lord did in sending his son, Jesus. We pick up this morning as Joseph as we discussed last week, he was resolved in his mind to divorce Mary quietly when he found out that she was pregnant. He encounters an angel of the Lord in a dream who tells him not to divorce Mary, that her story was not made up, that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 21, we, we begin to get the picture of exactly who this child will be. So what do we learn in verse 21, the first thing that stood out to me is that the Lord is the one taking the initiative. The Lord is the one in control. The Lord is the one running the show. This work, this rescue mission that he is doing, it comes by his hand and his plan. It will be executed on his terms. And that's really good news. Because he's coming to save a people who don't even acknowledge that they need to be saved. And so he takes the initiative. The Lord chose Mary to be the earthly mother of Jesus. He chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. Not in this passage, but we see in Luke. He chose Elizabeth. And he chose Zechariah to be the parents of John the Baptist, right? 
The angel tells Joseph not to divorce. And then he says, you, Mary will bear a son. And then, not just that, he says, here's what you're going to name that son. Like he did with Zechariah and Luke, right? This is what his name's going to be. John. This child will be named Jesus. Why? Because God said so. That's why. The angel tells Joseph definitively. Do you see this in 21? He will save his people from their sins. Not he might or he's going to try. That's what we're hoping happens here. He will save his people from their sins. He hasn't taken one step. He hasn't breathed one breath outside the womb. And the angel's telling Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. It will happen. We'll get back to that. We need to see in this passage that everything, everything here hinges on God's ability to act, not people's. And that is really good news. I know I just said that a couple of minutes ago. That's really good news. And we need to remember this in our lives, in our families, in our ministries. We can plan. We can work. We can preach. And we should and must do all of these things. But we must trust in our initiative-taking God to work for anything of eternal value to happen. Nothing happens apart from him. We need him to take the initiative. And the Advent reminds us that he did just that. And he still does just that. That's our story, right? Our stories of salvation are not, I was great. God brought me over that last final threshold in Jesus, right? That's my story. He took the initiative. He saved. He rescued what did the Lazarus children tell me before I got up here to preach this morning? What did you tell me, Hallie Lazarus? Well, Felicity actually said it, but what's it, what did you say? Noah, come on. Somebody's got to tell me. Come on, the sermon's going to be longer. Yeah, we're going to have to. We've got to get Chloe Shields up here baptized, so come on. We got Right? The, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. Right? Good reminder when you're getting up here to preach. The Lord must take the initiative. And he does. You shall call his name Jesus. All right, trivia question. Help me out here. Jesus' name in the original Hebrew is what? Yeah, Joshua. I would have accepted Joshua or Yehoshua or Yeshua. All of those are acceptable. Jesus is a further shortened version of the name Joshua, which means the Lord saves, God will deliver, one, one of those types of names. Joshua was actually a quite common name among the Jewish people. And that's one of the remarkable things about it. This is one of the remarkable things about Jesus, right? Jesus came born in a lowly manger in a stable in a town of little significance. He would be raised in a town of little significance. He would be of little earthly account. He would take the form of a servant 
And his name reflects in one sense that he became like us. He's one of us. But in another sense, his name reflects his purpose for coming. Joshua, meaning the Lord saves or God will deliver. This Joshua, parents gave their their kids a name, Joshua, as a reminder that the Lord will be our savior. The Lord will deliver us. This Joshua is going to come to be the embodiment of the Lord delivering, of the Lord saving. He would not be simply an expression of trust in the Lord's saving power, but the one by whom the Lord saves. Okay, another trivia. Who are two other Joshuas that we have accounts of in the Bible? And don't say Joshua and Joshua. <laughs> what, what two other Joshuas are, are mentioned in the Bible in a prominent way? Joshua the high priest at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. And? Yeah, you're trying to think of how am I going to describe this other Joshua? Like... I heard somebody say Moses Joshua. I heard somebody say, yeah, that guy. The guy who led the people of Israel into the promised land. It's neat to think that Joshua was the captain, the leader who brought them to the promised land. Joshua the high priest was the one who represented the people before God, right? Neither of them able to finally give the people what they ultimately needed, right? But both pointers captain, leader, high priest of our salvation, the Joshua who was going to come and be what we needed. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's a lot to unpack in the second half of that verse. I'm not going to, I'm going to be relatively brief this morning. It's exciting that we get to celebrate your baptism, Chloe. I've been praying for you. Baptism's always a wonderful thing. I want you to note the heart of our Father. He pursues His creation in love. Those who bear His image, He pursues them in love with a heart to forgive. Over and over. This is a great study to do. Over and over in the Old Testament. How many times do we hear of the steadfast love and faithfulness and the forgiving heart of our God? He is slow to anger. First thing he says about himself when he reveals himself to Moses, right? Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgiving sin and iniquity. Forgiving people who have sinned against him, the creator of everything. He has no moral obligation to let us keep living or to do anything good for us. We have earned disfavor, but he pursues us in love. He is love. Some might be thinking, as we read this, he can't, he's going to save his people from their sins. We've had confession of sin. We've sung about sin. What is the big deal about sin? If you're here, maybe you're still wondering about, you know, you don't even know what you believe about Jesus. Why do these people talk about sin? You know, maybe it sounds strange for us to confess sin, acknowledge sin, sing about our need to be freed from sin, talk about a savior from sin. Aren't we just being a bit too harsh on ourselves here? 
Can't we lighten up a little bit? Isn't this supposed to be a happy time? I just want to be clear. Brothers and sisters and any who are here uh, not sure what you believe about Jesus, we don't enjoy discussing sin. We don't enjoy confronting the sin in our own lives, but sin is a huge deal. Every sin at its heart is a rejection of God. What's the big deal if I violate a couple commands? Right? Come on. What's the re really, what's the big deal? The big deal is that the one who made everything, the one who made us, the one that said in his eternal wisdom, this is the way it should be. We hear him say that, and we say, we who are not God say, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. My way is better. What's the big deal if I'm not living for God's glory? Well, the big deal is that it's the only thing we're supposed to live for. And so every moment of our lives where we choose to live for self, live for our glory, live so that we can be made much of, ignore the worth of the one who put us on this earth and who lets us keep breathing and lets our hearts keep beating and lets our brains keep working and we ignore him every time we do that, we're in sin. He alone is worthy of all praise and honor and we judge him unworthy. We say, eh, I'd rather be glorified. I'd rather live for me. He says, live for my glory. Find your greatest joy in glorifying me. And we say, no thanks to the God who could wipe us out. That's a really big deal. Worthy of eternal punishment for an eternal crime against the eternal God. What's the big deal if I worship some of my other gods? a little bit, instead of the one true God. I worship myself, my comfort, my relationships, my work, my addictions. The list goes on and on. Well, the big deal is that there is only one true God, and he, can, he tolerates no contenders for his throne. That's the big deal. Our hearts are naturally inclined away from being and doing all the things that the Lord wants us to do and be. We figure out ways to go against him, ignore him, defame him. We betray the knowledge of him and we suppress the knowledge of him until we are numb. So we can ignore the reality that we're going to have to answer to him one day for the lives that we have lived. Even we who are believers in Christ find ourselves in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We are tempted to put ourselves in the place of God, to judge him, to say he's done things wrong, he doesn't know what he's doing. To seek glory for ourselves, to demand our own way and not his way. To ignore his wise counsel. Yes, I know the way I ought to go, but, but I want to go this other way. Against the one who made us. So yeah, all of that is a pretty big deal. 
He said, I've shown you the way, right? We read it in Genesis 3. I put you in paradise with one guideline. And you can enjoy everything I've ever made for you. I want you to go out. I want you to, to be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to explore everything I've made for you. And bring out all the greatness in it. That I've put in it. And enjoy it. And worship me. And we said, eh. That, yeah, it's paradise. Yeah, right. Paradise, good. I want the thing you told me not to have. Why wouldn't I be allowed to have that? That's what, that's what, that's us. That's who we are. So yes, it's a big deal. Our sin is a rejection of his heart and a rejection of his wisdom. God had pleaded with his people for thousands of years. He had given them leaders. He had given them signs from heaven. He had given them prophets, and yet still their hearts were far from him. When he had finally had enough, when he was finally fed up, when the time was right, he sent his son to save. That's pretty amazing. When the fullness of time had come, when, when it was the time... Uh, People had lived in sin and rejection and rebellion and unrepentance for years. And the Lord has had enough. And so he sends his son to save. Who? Who did he send him to save? The same people I've just been talking about for the last five minutes. The people who live for their own glory instead of his. The people who reject him. The people walking in darkness. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I said it at the beginning, but imagine the World Trade Towers were filled with people who had murdered the loved ones of the emergency workers, and they still went in. We would not know how to handle such grace, such mercy, such love. We would think it insane, right? We would tell those people, no, they, they don't deserve to be rescued. Leave them. Let them die. But this is what the Lord has done for his people. He sent his son to save them from their sins by living and dying for them. What does the angel mean by his people? So we see here, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Well, I see two things in this. First, an acknowledgement of what I shared earlier. Apart from God doing the initiating work, sending the Savior, softening a heart, giving ears to hear and eyes to see, we have no hope. We cannot make ourselves change into God-glorifying people. But He can make it happen. And so He will do so for those who are His people. How do I know if I'm one of his people? 
Like, do Christians, they have, like, some, some certain thing on them that, like, you can see. All right, that one, like, I'm going to preach to this person because I know that they're actually going to believe it. Other people, I just, like, I don't even talk about Jesus with them because there's not a, not a chance. How do I know who the people of God are? How do I know that I could be one of the people of God? Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection are for you and for your sins. Believe that though your sins separate you from the Lord, the Son can reconcile you to him. We make this offer of salvation believing that it is available to all who hear. The Lord is the one who gives eyes to see and ears to hear. And if you're saying, I don't know if I have eyes to see or ears to hear, pray to the Lord that he would open your eyes and give you a softened heart and that you would have faith to believe what is absolutely true, that he died to save all of his people and he will save all of his people from their sins. All who believe, their records are wiped clean, declared righteous. Larry reminded of the, the, us of this in the beginning, that we are declared righteous, seen with the righteousness of Christ, washed by the blood of Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, given the hope of eternal glory, Christ as the first, firstborn from the dead, and we will follow him to eternal life. But second, related to the words, his people, I just want you to see, so some people hear his people and they think, well, that's a really narrow idea. You're narrowing down the field, only his people. For a Jewish audience who would have been the original recipients of this letter, it would have had the exact opposite effect on them. Matthew was about to blow their minds, okay? Do you know what some of the last words in the book of Matthew are? From Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? The Jew, the rest of the Jews? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that in a few minutes. All nations. And so for a Jewish audience, they might have thought like, wow, he's not being exclusive. I can't believe how inclusive he's being. That our God is a saving God, not just of a certain ethnic group. It's not just these people. These are the people you can share the gospel with. But of all nations. Jesus tells his disciples what the Lord had been saying for thousands of years. The kingdom includes people from all nations. That's what gives us the hope of planting churches around us, of sending people to the foreign fields. We go because he's got his people everywhere, right? And he's going to do the work of opening the eyes, and he's going to do the work of softening the hearts. And apart from that, there is no hope. But he tells us to go everywhere with the gospel, with this message of salvation. As we move toward a close this morning, I've learned not to say like wrapping up. I say as we move toward a close, so you're like, so what do we got? Like 25 minutes left, five minutes? 
uh, we're moving toward a close. Sometime today, for sure. <laughs> what does it mean that Jesus will save his people from their sins? We've talked about sin. We've talked about what it means uh, to, to be in sin. And we talked about him being a savior. What does it mean that he saves us from our sins? Well, I, I just wrote down a few things. It means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies made since Genesis 3. Jim told us. There's a little nugget in there, right? Like, he's going to bruise the serpent's head, right? He is going to crush the serpent's head. Jesus would be the serpent crusher. He is the saving servant of Isaiah chapter 53. He is the one who will usher in the new covenant promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, Ezekiel chapter 36, a covenant that says what man cannot do, the Lord will do. He will remove our hearts of stone. He will give us new hearts. He will forgive all of our sins. He will sustain and protect us. What you couldn't do for yourself, he does for us. He takes the initiative. That's part of what it means to be saved from your sins. That he stepped in and did what you can't and really don't want to do for your greatest good and joy. It means that Jesus will save us from the penalty that our sins deserve. We merit separation from God eternally. And he comes to cancel that penalty through his own shed blood. Paid for to stand before the Lord one day and, and hear him say, I see the blood of Christ. I see that this one has been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. We got to rejoice in that this week as we mourn and grieve the loss of Sue Rizzoli, but also rejoice in the fact that her, her robes were washed white in the blood of the Lamb, right? Amen. To be saved from our sins means that he will not count our sins against us anymore. That is good news. It means that he will save us from the power of sin. In this life, he does so in measures. We still fight the war against our sin daily, right? I think we all do that. There is the flesh and there is the spirit. But he is delivered. He breaks the power of canceled sin, right? We sing that. Breaks the power of canceled sin. He progressively sanctifies us, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next as we behold his glory. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Seen as righteous in the courts of heaven, being changed more and more into that image as we look to him. And one day in glory, we will fully be like him because we will see him as he is. It also means that he will save his people from their most powerful enemy, their most vicious tormentor. He's going to save these people. The Messiah was going to come to save them from who? The Romans? 
the conquering Romans, the, the Romans who were such a nuisance to the Jewish people, who they just wanted to be rid of, our worst tormentor, our worst foe. No, this Jesus was going to come and save them from their real worst tormentor, their real worst foe. This Savior came for a bigger purpose, to set his people free from that which would eternally plague them, to destroy the most wicked enemies, Satan, sin, and death itself. He came to save us from them. That's what it means to be saved from your sins. But let me ask you one more thing, and we're closing. What does it mean to be saved? That's a word that Christians use all the time, right? Are you saved? What do you think? Are you saved? In this life, it means that we have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus. Affirmed by our brothers and sisters as walking with the Lord. In the courts of heaven, there is no longer any account of wrongdoing that stands against us. Against us, though we have done much wrong. The Lord canceled that record of debt, nailing it to the cross for all who believe. Our sins are remembered no more, and they are removed as far from us as the east is from the west. And it also means that we are being saved, as I mentioned a few moments ago. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is making us more and more like Christ as we set our eyes on Him. He is releasing us from the power of sin in our lives. And finally, it means that we will be saved. There's a part of our salvation that we do not yet have. One day, all sin, death, decay, disease, and pain will go away forever as the Lord fully establishes his kingdom among us. Is that your hope today? One day it's all going to go away. Sin, sadness, sickness, pain, disease, decay, brokenness. There will be no more weeping. Nothing broken any longer. He will be our God and we will be his people in full. Forever. Filled with joy. Friends here today who have not believed in Jesus, I urge you to consider him. He is a loving savior. He came to save. And the Lord makes no other offers. This is his final and best word to us. This is the offer. Those who reject Jesus are rejecting God's last and best word to us. There remains no other sacrifice, no other offer. We will all face the Lord one day and answer for our lives. And he offers to us forgiveness and righteousness and life and joy and hope in Christ. But all who reject him will be judged according to their own merits and according to their own rejection of his last and best word. And you will be left wanting and found lacking. But all who believe can receive this forgiveness, this hope of eternal life. Believe today. Brothers and sisters, we can have great joy in all circumstances.
at Christmas and always. His name is Jesus, and he has saved his people from their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a saving God. And I pray that for some here today, today would be the day of salvation. That they would trust in Christ, see his death on the cross as sufficient for the forgiveness of the sins of all who believe. That he did not stay dead, but was raised in victory over sin and the grave. And that because of that, we who believe in Jesus have a living hope now and for all of eternity. Father, let today be the day of faith for some. For we who are in Christ, may we never tire of rejoicing in our salvation, in the forgiveness that we have through Jesus, and that you don't save us and then set us on our own and say, you don't need me anymore. Lord, we need you every day, every hour. And you call us to be a people who rest in you, who look to you, and you provide all that we need. You gave us your son, how will you not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We thank you for a great hope for today and a great hope into eternity. We pray this through Jesus our Lord. Amen.